0: Turning your Bibles, uh, we're going to uh, look at a theme scripture this morning and in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This morning is not going to be necessarily what I like to do more, what's called an expositional, take a passage, a book of the Bible, kind of break it down and explain it, which I prefer. But sometimes there's certain certain... Uh, Things that God directs and that are more thematic, and we're going to do this uh, today and uh, and next week as well. And Lord willing, uh, in a few weeks, I keep saying it, but probably in October we'll start a series in First John where we'll take that as a book of the Bible. But I've I've kind of enjoyed having just uh, opportunity to sometimes just each week. I mean, I you know I know what I'm preaching next week because I'm going to split this in half. But a lot of times I don't know. I just say Lord, what do you, you know, what do you want to what do you want to say? I don't mean to be spooky or mystical. It's just as your pastor, you want to hear what, you know, what is God wanting to direct and, and speak in the word, and he directs us and directs me to do that. And um this is again one of those uh things that I think has benefited me and, and I think it will benefit you as well. But first Thessalonians chapter two. And it will be on the screen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. trust you have your Bible or tablet or something to follow along. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And the latter part of verse 4 is really kind of uh, the launching of of today's message, and next week uh, we'll continue it, is what Paul said. He said in verse 4, But as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel and this statement, even so we speak not as pleasing God, but God, pleasing God who tests our hearts. And this morning I want us to consider the question are you a people pleaser or are you a God pleaser? Are you a people pleaser or a God pleaser? Uh, as I said, sometimes God directs in different ways as in opening up and preaching or teaching. And uh, there was a few, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be directed to look at a, a book, or some pull something off my shelf I haven't read or bought because somebody recommended it. How many of you have books like that? They recommend you're like, why did I buy this thing, you know? And uh, it ends up uh, giving it away to Goodwill or something. But I had a few books on this same theme that began. I began to read them, and uh, and it really just sensed that this was something I believe that was benefiting me. I felt like, wow, this is really, I'm really seeing myself here, you know, in the Word. And I thought it would be uh, beneficial to share it. Uh, one of those books um, is by a man by name Pru- uh, Priolo, called "Pleasing People." Both of these are men of um, that are uh, Christian, biblical counselors and uh, men of the Word. This is not pop psychology or doctor Philism type of thing, but these are this is biblical truth that I think is consistent with what we teach in transformation here. But the other book that um, I found very, very helpful, was a book called uh, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch, and it's called Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. Uh, Not the fear of men, that's a different sermon, but the fear of man, all right, the fear and intimidation of people, and it was such a helpful as I began to open it up, I um, thought that many of you might would benefit in reading it as well, and so I ordered fifteen copies not these aren 't freebies; these'll cost you thirteen bucks and by the way that 's cheaper than prime. I already checked it out so uh, uh, and uh, they 'll be here next week, but there 's a little clipboard in the back that if you want to reserve your copy uh, i 'll make sure that next week you have yours and i 'll mention more about that as we go on and read a few things from it. but uh, it just prompted my thinking on this 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 whole thing about the fear of man, intimidation. And, and as I said, um, it, it's not, again, it's, it's a fear that is based upon the way we behave and the way we think in an intimidation of why we do what we do or why we don't do what we should do. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25 in the New Living Translation writes, fearing people is a dangerous trap but trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people, you say, "Well, I don't really fear people." Well, let me give me a little moment to kind of explain it here, and hopefully, I won't uh, get it too muddy here. But it's speaking about when are talk about the fear of man. That's that's really more of the, the the Bible phrase. But but it's really this: fearing people. If we had to define it, it'd be this way: it's a controlling tendency that we esteem others, other people, in an unhealthy way that we end up being controlled and mastered by their opinions and their thoughts over our lives. That we live in such a way, and here, here, here's, this is important to pay attention to, we live in such a way that we seek from others what only God can provide us. So, again, that's what I'm referring to as being a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. Now, does this mean that we should just be rude and obnoxious and not please people? Is that the idea? Uh, No, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, God has, like many desires, God has given us desires. A lot of our desires aren't necessarily bad in themselves. For example, is it a sin for a Christian to use money? No, it's not a sin for a Christian to use money. When does it become a sin? When it becomes sinful when we are a lover of money. There's nothing wrong with the desire, but the desire becomes misplaced. It becomes out of alignment with what God's purpose is. And so the desire to please others is not wrong in and of itself, right? That's not, that's not wrong. In fact, the Bible says that, uh, Paul said in First Thessalonians 5, 11, these aren't on the screen, he says, therefore comfort each other and edify one another, okay? There's, there, we are, to, we are uh, to, to help one another. We're to love one another. The Bible says the, that we are to honor father and mother. We're to esteem them. We are to to give honor and, and uh, preference, Peter in 1 Peter 2 and in uh, other places, it speaks about honoring those in authority over you, that we are to honor those kings and governors, and we are to do those things that are pleasing to them. God made us as social beings. Remember, when God made man, he said, "It is not good that man should be what? should be alone. And so God has, uh, our desire for praise and encouragement is not evil in and of itself. It's the way that God has wired us. One of the love languages is words of what? Affirmation. All right? There's nothing evil or wrong in that. But where it becomes out of line is this God-given instinct, desire, for relationships, becomes a compulsion. It becomes a compulsion that separates us from the primary relationship, and that is in Christ. That we, again, are looking to someone or somebody's to get that which only God has intended for him to provide for us and to give to us. You with me? Let's go a little further. The Bible even digs down even a little further in misplaced need because the Bible calls a misplaced looking at something besides God to gain something that we need. The Bible has a word for that it's called idolatry. It's idolatry. Uh, And this is when people and our perceived desire for something that people can do. An idol is not made of wood or stone. You know, we think, well, I don't worship idols. Idols are that which we give preeminence of the heart that only is reserved for God himself. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay? God is pretty strict on any competitiveness concerning those that we hold in awe and even in worship. You see, worship, it may be something you say, well, it isn't something we bow down to or whatever, but it's anything that we give preeminence in our life above the purpose and what God has designed for us to have. Because we perceive that thing, whatever it is. And an idol can be, in and of itself, it can be a good thing. Like I said, money, money of in, of, in of itself is not good or bad. But it can become idolatrous when we begin to look to that or a person or whatever, and we look to that thing to have a godlike ability or power to fill us in something that only God. Has made us to fulfill. Now, I don't plan to give you a bunch of quotes or anything like that, but there are some that are helpful. And this is going to be on the screen. This is from uh, Ed Welch here from the book When People Are Big and God Is Small, and very helpful. Listen to how he explains this much better than I could. He says, What is the result of people idolatry? As in all idolatry, the idol we choose to worship soon owns us. Although insignificant in and of itself, the idol becomes huge and rules us. It tells us how to think, what to feel, and how to act. People idolatry, it tells us what to wear. It tells us to laugh at the dirty joke, and it tells us to be frightened to death that we might have to stand up in front of a group and say something. The whole strategy backfires. Listen to this last phrase, this last sentence. We never expect that using people to meet our desires leaves us enslaved to them. Lou Giglio, who, by the way, I was reading some things on that series, making sure Paul wasn't peddling heresy or anything, got to watch, Paul. Um, No, I'm kidding. But I found a great quote from Louis Giglio in that series. He says, if we live for people's approval, we will die by their rejection. The fear of man, people-pleasing addiction can become idolatrous in my life and in your life. And today I'm going to Break this uh, teaching down in, in three parts. And the first two, if we get to the second one, but we'll finish it up next week. So uh, we didn't provide lunch, so we'll split this up in half. But we're going to look this morning uh, at the profile of a people pleaser. The profile of a people pleaser. And if we get time, we'll look at the prison of a people pleaser. Say that three times really fast. And next week, the practice. Of a God pleaser. Let's look at the profile of a people pleaser. What does approval addiction look like? Now, listen, you're hearing this maybe for the first time, but I've had this slap me around for several days. And so uh, I see myself in all of these things, and you may see yourself too. You're definitely gonna see your spouse in one of these, right? That's the way it works. Nudge'. Them, that's you. No, Don't do that. But see, as a Christian, as a Christian and really, this is to Christians here. If you're not a Christian, then uh, you're just going to be kind of rearranging the, 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 the deck chairs on the Titanic until you come under the Lordship of Christ, and he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to apply truth into your life and to be conformed to his image. But as believers here today, I'm addressing you that we do not want anything that's toxic in our life. And pride is extremely toxic. And at the root, again, of this idol is that pride of self, and we want God's transforming spirit to have his full work in our life. Amen? That, that's the process of sanctification. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And sometimes the conforming of the image of Jesus... Is God working on the inside, the outside, and rough, smoothing out those rough spots? And this, this is one of those areas where I believe the Lord can address some of these areas that we struggle with. But what is a profile? I'm going to give you five characteristics. And these are not original with me. In the one book, People Pleasing by Lou Priolo, uh, he had 12 or 13. And I figured I would do, give you some mercy and only give you five before you are... Uh, totally uh, cut up uh, and bleeding. But, uh, but notice, first of all, first characteristic of a profile in this profile is, and I'm going to use the term we because I put myself right in all of these, we fear displeasing others. We fear. These are, these are characteristics. These are characteristics of this profile of a people pleaser, someone who is consumed with the fear of of man. We fear displeasing others. We fear the displeasure of another person more than the displeasure of God. Look at John 12. It'll be on the screen. John 12, verse 42 and 43. Many people did not believe in him. That's Jesus. Many people did not believe in Jesus. However, Including, uh, or I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Many people did believe in him. Many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders. So many people believed in Christ, even some of the Pharisees and the scribes and Jewish leaders. But notice, but they, these people that believed in him, but they wouldn't admit it for what? For fear that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, would expel them from the synagogue. They believed in Jesus, but it was out of a fear that they'd be kicked out of the synagogues for being called a Jesus follower. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Do you see how the fear of man is connected to the fear of man's disapproval? When a people pleaser interacts with others, what are their thoughts? They immediately run into kind of a self-focus, a fear and anxiety of whether this person approves of me. Are my actions going to be that that are approving? Give me some examples. You know, sometimes when we maybe meet somebody new or, or somebody that, you know, we want to impress, we're immediately thinking, I don't want to do that because what will this person Think about me. Sometimes we fear letting somebody in our house because we fear what they will think about us, make a judgment on us. I grew up in which I was afraid to have kids over to my house. I remember sometimes riding my bike home from school and intentionally turning down the wrong street because I didn't want them to know where I lived because of the chaotic condition. And unfortunately, that carries over into adulthood. I don't want to meet this person because I'm going to probably make a fool out of myself. They'll think I'm stupid. I won't know what to say. Any of those thoughts sound familiar? Don't raise your hands. I can't reveal too much of me because if I'm honest and they find out the real me... That's dangerous, because I know they'll surely not want me or like me. They'll reject me. I've got to be careful to say anything or give any opinion that can be a point of conflict. I don't want to say anything that might be a contrary opinion, because again, what is this characteristic? It's a fear of displeasing somebody, and it becomes a controlling mechanism in our life. We fear the displeasure of another person more than we fear the displeasure of God. Second characteristic, these are not exhaustive, but I think you're going to get the the gist. Secondly, we desire the praise of others. Another characteristic is we desire the praise of others. We desire the praise of others above the praise of God. And then I said, there's a part of this that is very much the way that God has wired us as human beings. We Here's the secret. I like affirmation. I, I, I'm not opposed to anybody here saying, Pastor, that was a good job. I, you are free to just go wild with that. I'm going to set you free. You know, you just can, right? You like that. Don't you like an attaboys? You know, the, you know good job, a note. You, we, we, you know, that, that, that's good. It's when, it's when it becomes, again, misaligned and it becomes a craving of people's affirmation into our life because instead of, and we'll talk about this, instead of the affirmation that desires as complete in Christ, only Christ can give us and fulfill us with that type of fulfillment and affirmation. We might say, well, not me. I I don't desire the praise of others. I, I love God above everything else. I I mean, look at all that I do for God. Doesn't that show that all the time I spend in serving Him and all the good things I've done, my whole life is built around my faith? I'm, I'm sacrificial. I'm not after self glory. You know what? Think about it. Do you think a scribe or Pharisee could say that same exact thing? Yeah, they could. What do you mean we're in this for ourselves? Look at all we do. Look at all that we have given up. Look at what we tithe. Look at the time I put into prayer. You get the idea? And why? Why did they do that? Because they craved that human approval so much, they spent their time and effort... In doing the very things that they would get credit for from from others. Give you an example Matthew 23, verse 5 through 7. Jesus, these are words of Jesus. He says, Everything they, speaking of these religious folks, these Pharisees, scribes, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes. Your version might say the word phylacteries, and that's not, that's not speaking in tongues. Phylacteries, it was a little device that they would wear sometimes on their head uh, or on their arm, and it would have little scriptures in this little box, but they were like little prayer boxes, the New Living Translation says. They wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear their robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. They loved the praise of men. They loved and were addicted to words that made them feel good about themselves. Now, you know, the things that are godly in nature, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, all these things that are good, that are means that God has provided for us to increase in godliness, you understand that even those good things can be done in a hypocritical, self-serving way. You and I have known people there were sometimes the most dedicated people at church, but had the most chaotic personal life. And they were—you were you were thinking, but look at all the time that they invest in every time the door is open and every project and everything that is going on. I mean, look at their dedication. But they also loved saying, you know, better pick somebody's name who's not in here. Demetrius. Look at that Demetrius. He's such a spiritual guy. Oh, if we could be more like Demetrius. And Demetrius, like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. That's that spirit of the Pharisee, loving the praise. And God can take even those good things. Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount when he wrote or said in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get, the desire of praise of others above the praise of God. Third characteristic to consider is we manipulate our words. We manipulate our words. What do I mean by that? Is that our speech, part of this profile of a people pleaser where we are addicted to the, to, the, to the affection and words and the attention and what somebody can give us, we, we use our speech, we design it to entice and flatter others into thinking well of us, remember James says the tongue, it's a powerful thing. It's a little part of your body. James three five. It's a little part of your body, but just like a small spark can set a whole forest on fire, as we've seen, unfortunately in California again, the tongue can do great damage. The mouth, the words that we speak. Our words often betray us and how we will use our words, how I will use my words. I'm going to put myself right here to cover my sins, foibles, flaws. Why? Because we want you, I want you, we want others to perceive us in the best possible light. Am I right? I am, whether you are it or not. Our words are used to allow people to see us in the best possible way, and therefore our words can be, whether we understand it, where it's intentional, whether we perceive it, maybe it's just the way that we have had to exist, can be manipulative because why? We are motivated by fear of what this person is going to think of me, and if I admit that I forgot to do this, or I failed to do this, or I didn't carry through on something, I shade the truth because I don't want them to think less of me. I find clever ways to brag about my accomplishments. There's a pastor that I know in this area, he's a good guy, I like him, but he does something that just drives me crazy. It's hard to believe a pastor would do something that would drive you crazy. I know that's shocking. And when I'm around him, within five minutes, it just is about what he's done, where he's gone to school, what he's, it somehow just works itself in through the entire conversation. And I walk away and I'm like, man, I love this guy, but man, that is such a horrible trait. Have I been guilty of that? Sure. Because why? I want you to be impressed with something I've done. So why? I want you to really like me and think highly of me. So I'm going to make sure that I sneak in my resume every once in a while. That's how we manipulate words. Sometimes we refuse to address sin lovingly kindly and someone that we've earned the right to do this? Why? Why are we afraid to confront? Because we fear they will do what? They will reject me. As a pastor, there have been times, even since I've been here, that I've lovingly had to go to somebody and address something And the persons I'm thinking of right now, I never saw again. But you know what? I do the same thing because it was an issue that was of great consequence to them and even the church. Has there been times I've done it that hasn't been so loving? Yeah, yeah. Has it been irritating? Yep. You get irritated? Yep. Right? Don't you wish you can get your words back? sometimes. I'm better at hitting delete. I, you know, there's a great therapy. It's called writing that email, getting out of your system, but don't hit that send button. I have, res- that's why I got out of Twitter. I mean, I just canceled the account. I'd l- be laying there, couldn't sleep at two in the morning, getting ir- irritated at controversies I didn't even know existed, and I found myself all riled up about stuff. I would cancel Facebook if it wasn't a good tool to communicate to you as a church. But you find yourself getting and all of a sudden you're writing responses, and the Holy Spirit is so good, and he says, Tim, nobody cares what you think. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Listen to what Paul said. He said, For we speak, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 5, He said, for we speak, use our mouths as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Look at this. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try, Paul says, to win you with flattery, as you well know, and God is our witness that we weren't pretending to be your friends just to get your money. That happened back then. Still happens today. Now let me belabor this just a little more because I think this is a key thing that fits here and really fits everywhere, but for a Christian The transformational principle we've got to keep in mind, and if you've been in Colossians at all, you know this is the theme, is Colossians 2.10, we are complete in Christ. I can't improve on what God has provided me, Debbie, in Jesus. I can't do any better. I can't make it better. I can't. You're being here at church hasn't improved on what Jesus has provided you. It just It just doesn't get better. That's why Colossians 3.3, my life, if you watch the teaching, you'll know what I'm doing here. I'm not hitchhiking. My life is, is hidden with Christ in God. Why is God pleased with Tim Campbell? Because I'm all wrapped up in Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if I'm wrapped up in Jesus, guess what? God is pleased with me. And I don't need you And you don't need me to add anything to being approved by God. Now, I'll just say this because sometimes I only hang out with pastors and that's a problem. And I think you would, Mike, you, you you will know, you will know. Sometimes pastors become abusive to their congregations. You know why? Because you're not affirming me enough. All you people that are sitting out, I take that personally. I don't really. I'm just saying that. (laughs) Do you hear what I'm saying? And so what happens? The pastor starts wielding this machete. And the weird thing is people come back for that kind of abuse. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And you know what that reveals? That I don't understand who I am in Jesus. As a Christian, I am a Christian before I'm your pastor or a pastor. And so therefore, my identity in Christ means that I'm accepted on the merit of Jesus alone. This is the gospel. I'm accepted on the merit of Christ alone. I'm clothed. In his righteousness alone, I am accepted by the Father through his Son and receive the Holy Spirit who gives me the assurance, Romans 8.16, that I am his child, Galatians 4.5. I'm adopted as a son, and based upon Galatians 4.6, I can call my God, Abba, Papa, Father, because I belong to him. My son, Tim, and Jonathan cannot do anything to change their status as my sons. And neither can you as a son or daughter to the Father if you are in Christ. And that's where all of this work at trying to get people to give me what is already mine in Christ I am free indeed, because Ephesians says that I am accepted in the beloved. And I can't improve on that. Number four, another characteristic. I only have two more if you're still breathing. And we'll finish up with just part one, and we'll finish up next, or Finish up part two next week. Another characteristic is we are oversensitive to correction. This one, this one stung. I, I don't, I mean, look. Do you like reproof? Do you like correction? I don't. I don't like it at all. We are oversensitive to correction for fear of the dissatisfaction or disapproval of others. If somebody I admire and respect you correct me, then I receive that as rejection and I have failed and therefore I'm not held in the esteem in your eyes that I so crave. Does that make sense? Instead of saying that that correction, if it's legitimate, and the Holy Spirit will bear witness to you that it is, some people say things you're like, okay, well, but there's some things people say, and it's like Nathan fingers right on you. And instead of seeing that as something that we react and get angry, respond, we're saying, God, thank you for that gift of correction. Now only the Holy Spirit can have you say that. I want to be. Pliable. I want to be teachable. But see, it's pride in my life. And when you touch that pride, it reacts. And pride hates correction. You know what? So, and when we do this, even when there's times when we will have to do it or do it in other people, or maybe this is how we respond, it shows up in a response to that we withdraw, we sulk, we pout. Why? Because that approval-seeking person does not want rejection. And we have perceived this as rejection. But see, it only lasts a short time because the withdrawal and the pouting, and, and that is counterproductive, so they got to get back on track because they want to receive this approval... So what happens? They start, I start, you start working harder at what you were corrected about so that you can get and tap in to that love and acceptance from that person all again. Do you see why this is such a drudgery? To be on this endless, endless circle of chasing after people to meet our needs that only God can do. It's a wicked taskmaster. Proverbs 25, 12, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Proverbs 9, 7 through 8, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise. Rebuke the wise and they will what? They'll be thankful. And the last is we are discontented in this profile, these characteristics. Paul said, 1 Timothy 6, 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I've learned, oh, I love it, that Paul said he had to learn something. Oh, that gets me off the hook because I'm still learning. You still learning? Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Last quote. Told you I wouldn't do many, but this is better read than said. Lou Priolo in his book, People Pleasing How Not to Be an Approval, a Junkie. And again, these are not pipe psycho; like these are all biblical scriptural counseling guys. They're written very scripturally and very good stuff. Listen to what he says. He said, The people pleaser is discontented with his status in life. He longs to have more authority, greater honor, more influence, more wealth, rather than being thankful. For what has been given to him or her, and for God's wise distribution of blessings to all men for his purposes, the approval-seeking idolater covets the honor-producing blessings that God has given to others as though all of God's purposes revolved around bestowing honor on himself. Perhaps the saddest thing about such a person is that he or she will never be satisfied no matter how much approval he or she may generate. What Solomon says about material wealth applies to any heart idol. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth, approval, put it in there, brings true happiness. So that's why we're discontent. So we're always griping about the job, the the house, the car, the wife, the kid. I mean, we're just, we just, because we think if we can get this, that's, that's what the entire advertising world is designed to do, is to make you discontent. Because if you're not discontent with old, terrible, trashy Tide detergent, you're not going to buy new and proof Tide, right? That car that God provided and you were so thankful, what piece of junk am I driving when I pull up next to a brand new Lexus or a Mercedes or, you know, what in the world? I, I can't believe I'm driving this thing because people are going to think of that guy Much higher than they think of me and my little Nissan. Because stuff is how people affirm. And so therefore, I'm back on that that treadmill. Chasing stuff for why? Because that's how people will like me and receive me and accept me. Someone said this. I don't know who said it. I'll take credit for it. <laughs> this person goes through life seeing their life like a half-empty glass, being discontented and resentful of someone else for stealing their other half. Isn't that true? So my relationships are manipulated as a people-pleaser. They become misplaced and I have this appeasement or submission that's based on a fear of rejection because I see in that person or persons, they may may withdraw and keep from me what they have that I perceive they can give me, what I lack, it might be promotion, money, status, social power, acceptance, whatever it is. If they withdraw, then I'm not going to get that. That's going to get me out of this discontented, ungrateful mess that I'm in. So therefore, I need them to really like me. Because that's how I'm going to get that promotion. That's how I'm going to get that money. That's how I'm going to get this. That's how I'm going to get that. Next week, we'll pick it up, part two. Look at how this is a a bondage. The prison of being a people pleaser. Much shorter than the first one, but... We want to spend the majority of our time on the practice of a God pleaser. Look, we were designed, we were designed for love, and only God can give us and fill that craving. God is love. First John 4 8. And here's a news flash. Not everyone is going to like me. Not everyone is going to like me. Get over it. Because it doesn't matter. Because the only one that matters, that not only likes me, that loves me, that has accepted me in his family, is the one who speaks planets into existence. He's made me for himself. St. Augustine, I've said it, this quote, and it's so appropriate. St. Augustine in his confessions says, You have made us for yourself. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee.